You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 194 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate, who has been a very busy Alison Tate. Isn't that right, Al? I have been a very busy Alison Tate. I'm, you know, it's a funny thing. A lot of people, um, you know, they kind of get like the, the start of the week comes upon them and they, they think, my goodness me, I don't want to see a Monday, but I actually quite look forward to a Monday. <laughs> Mondays, tend to, Mondays tend to be one of my quieter days. I quite like them. Um, yes, yes I've been very, very busy. I spent the weekend at the uh, Writers Unleashed Festival, the Sutherland Writers uh, Festival, and it was it was a very busy day. I had quite the adventure to get there because of various reasons, mostly to do with trees on train tracks and, you know, the general things that go with that. But mm. I met a great group of people up there. I was welcomed with open arms and it was um, it was terrific. I was doing a little workshop on how to make time to write, which is, yes. uh, you know, obviously a subject close to my heart, as you know, Valerie. But I would yes. just like to say hello to all the podcast listeners who um, came up and said hello to me at Yay. Writers Unleashed. So hi to Maria. Maria came all the way from Brisbane. Wow. To see, I know it was. I was most impressed. We took photos and smiled. It was lovely, um, and also to Kay and to Robin, and a big shout out to Kate who bought the Book of yes. Secrets, Val, because it was on sale there. To my surprise, there was a big stack of the Book of Secrets. So Kate bought the book, read the book, and reviewed the book on Goodreads all within oh. the space of twenty four hours. Wow, that is devotion. So big shout out to That's, Kate Simpson, and thank yes. you so much for that. Um, and I was so excited, and she gave it five stars, people, and said it was amazing. So please, you know, <laughs> keep that in mind. Fantastic. That is so exciting. Wow. Exciting. Well, I couldn't believe yeah. they had it. I know. She's got the book and you don't have the book. Val. I know. I'm still <laughs> waiting for it. My local bookshop hasn't got it yet. I went on the weekend as well and even asked. No, they. Um, it's well. It's you know. It's not actually on. It's not actually pub- published until the twelfth of September, technically. So the bookseller yes. there was quite excited by her coup of having actually yes. managed to acquire um, event stock prior yes. to publication date. So I was pretty excited too. I was like, "Yay!" Fantastic. Goodness mm. me. Well, Funny. sounds like um, sounds like it went well. And how did your session go? How to make time to write? Yeah, it was great. You know, I basically got up there and like, blah, 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 blah. you know how I do? Because I was like, <laughs> wow, I've got a lot to say here. I've only got one hour. And we just like, un- yeah. and that was it. It was just unleashed. It was Writers Unleashed because I was unleashing upon them. Um, but it went really well and there was a lot of questions and we um, we worked through some different things and um, I'm sending out an information sheet to those people that um, that came and signed up for it. So, you know, I do try to give value with my sessions. It's, it's yeah, worth coming absolutely. along. <laughs> and, of course, if you didn't make it to Alison's session at Writers Unleashed, you can check out her course called 
make time to write because that's exactly what Alison tells you to do. And she has a step-by-step blueprint, very, very practical. This woman is practical. Trust me, I know. And <laughs> it's it's so clear. And, it, and I think that the main thing is that you come away with a very clear strategy and importantly to really help you get into it, part of the course, How to Make Time to Write, is that you receive the 30-day writing boot camp at the mm-hmm. end, which if you follow it, and it's and look, I've gone through it. It is totally, totally 100% doable. Um, at the, if you follow it, you'll end up with 10,000 words at the end of 30 days. And, of course, if, if you want, you can just repeat it for the next 30 days and keep on going till you have a, a huge body of work. So check that out at writercentre.com.au slash time. That's mm-hmm. writercentre.com.au slash time. All right. Well, I didn't have as productive a weekend as you, Al. I'm sure you had a very productive weekend, Valerie, with all the various thousand million things you're doing at the moment. Um, there must have been some painting or some knot tying or some handwriting <laughs> or some, I don't know, something. There must have been. All right. Well, Saturday was a uh, it was a productive day, but then on Sunday I made the mistake of you know how sometimes you feel like a lazy day and I just decided I just wanted to read my book and so I lay on the couch and I was reading a, a book by a, quite a high profile person that I'm sure lots of people will have heard of and um, and I just wanted to settle into it and read it and I did. And I finished it at about, because I started it previously. I didn't start it that morning. Um, I finished it at about midday or 12.30 and it just ended up making me feel completely blur. Oh, no. It wasn't badly written or anything like that. Um, But you know how sometimes the content of a book can just feed into you and for the rest of the day I felt like crap. So that was my day. Anyway. That's not that's not good, is it? I mean, that's the. I mean, I guess that's the thing. The power of a book, you know, it can uplift yeah. you. It can make that's you right. feel blah. It can give you that happy, sad feeling. It's a, you know, you have to be careful about your reading choices sometimes, mm. don't you, as to where you're yes. up to. And I think if it's making you feel bad, you just need to put it away. That is so true. And you think that, you know, because like I watch things like Law and Order is for you, right? And they're just about right. bad things that happen to people. And yet I don't feel, you know, blur at the end of it. I don't feel, I don't know whether that, what that says about me, but I don't feel depressed or, or affected in any way. And yet the mm-hmm. book like this about, you know, a high profile person um, who's doing interesting things just made me feel yuck. So it was really, it's very strange actually. Mm-hmm. Right? Interesting. It doesn't matter. I, I don't, didn't mean to bring the tone down. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. We can <laughs> lift it again. Let's lift it All again. Right, let's well, lift let's it. actively lift it. <laughs> let's talk I'm about ready. something else. I read in the Washington Post this week an interesting uh, article called These Attorneys Practiced Law by Day and Wove Stories of Seduction by Night. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. See, the tone has immediately gone up. (laughs) Yeah, immediately. (laughs) So I think the whole point is that, you know, when you're a lawyer, it's meant to be very professional. You're meant to be taken very seriously. It's meant to be quite highbrow. And uh, it profiled a bunch of lawyers who obviously did their day job as lawyers but wrote, you know, stories like hard hats and silk stockings (laughs) in the evening. Goodness. (laughs) 
<laughs> and um, it's quite an interesting article, and we will put the link in the show notes, which you can find in uh, you can find at so you want to be a writer dot com dot au. But basically, um, this it starts with a Helen K. Diamond, her name is, and she handled a lot of divorce cases. And basically, mm. all day, every day, she was dealing with warring spouses or uh, soon-to-be ex-spouses and people who were just going through very, very acrimonious battles with custody, with assets, with all sorts of things, you know, and a lot of emotional stuff. So uh, it was just sad and it was starting to get her down. And one day a colleague, you know, who kind of thought, oh, you poor thing, handed her three paperback romance novels and said, you need a happy ending, which is kind of cute. <laughs> so she read them and she just kept on buying them and she thought, this is great, you know, this romance genre. But before long, she started writing her own romances just for fun after work, basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then she ended up uh, finding an online contest where – Uh, the contest where you could submit a few pages of your recent work and she entered and she won. And that eventually became her first book, which, as I've already mentioned, is Hard Hats and Silk Stockings. (laughs) You just want to, you actually just want to keep saying that, don't you? Like you, that's, I think we are are only talking about this, people, because Val wants to keep saying hard hats and silk stockings. (laughs) That's right. You've got more of a, a, one of those voices than I do though, Al. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that. So I should sit here and be like, just the sexiest man alive. That's that's another book that's written by Julie James. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Hard hats and silk stockings is about an an architect and a contractor who discover what they think is a panic room while renovating an old house, but it's actually a naughty room. (laughs) So... Uh, there's also um, Heidi Bond, who writes actually writes under a pen name, Courtney Milan, because in the day <laughs> she's a clerk for uh, I think you said clerks in America and clerks here for Supreme Court for a bunch of Supreme Court justices. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Or she she was before. So fairly she, dry is what you're saying. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. Mm-hmm. So. <clears throat> She, she, she also uh, writes romance and um, she then taught law at a university for three years before quitting to write full time. And she, she says in this article in the Washington Post that for switching between law and romance, romance felt entirely natural. <laughs> she hmm. says, one of the skills that makes you a good lawyer is the ability to take a bunch of disparate facts and weave them together into something that tells a story that pulls on the human imagination. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, okay. Why are you laughing? Listen to you. You're like hysterically giggling. It's just very funny. <laughs> <laughs> but there's quite a lot. It's quite surprising how many people are featured in this article. There's obviously a lot of lawyers who need an outlet 
I reckon. Yeah, but I'm sort of unsurprised by this because if if you have a look, the thing that I find interesting about it, so there's a lot of lawyers who actually end up being crime and thriller novelists. Like um, Michael Connolly is one of those and um, who else? I'm just trying – yeah, anyway, I'm trying to think. There's there's a lot of them. But the other thing that I find interesting that law students end up becoming is comedians. Like if you think about the number of – comedians working in Australia who actually studied law at university and all met each other through the law review, you would, it's, it's astonishing. Like that's where they all find each other is they go to, they do law and then they realize that, you know, maybe actually the funny stuff is more interesting and they go off and do that. Um, so half of the chaser team was like that. And I'm pretty sure that Working Dog, maybe quite a few of them came together under that law kind of review thing. So it's um, because, you know, I guess if you're attracted, you generally find yourself sort of A, interested in law and B, perhaps um, able to do it because it's generally because of your English and read, it, it's a it's a big reading subject, like you think about it, and there's an awful mm. lot of dry reading to get through if you are doing law. Um, and so the, the chances of you being someone who can string a sentence together are fairly high, um, yes. and I totally see why the escapism of romance would appeal to a lot of these people because, you know, when you're doing that kind of work day in, day out, you romance is about escape and it's about, you know, as you said, the happy ending. Um, yeah. That's why people read it. They read it because they they know what they're essentially going to get, but it's the how you get there that makes the whole thing interesting. It's the journey rather than the destination because you're pretty sure with a romance mm. novel that you are going to end up with a happily ever after at some point. But it's that journey of – and it's all character-based. It's, it comes down to creating characters that your reader is interested enough in to follow to the happy ending because, you know, yes. if they're boring, the story goes nowhere. So the people who do it really well, people like Nora Roberts, her character studies are so great because she will have you – she's got you right from from the first pages. You're there. Her, her mm. heroes are terrific. Her heroines are, you know, whatever. They're not all the same. Um, the stories are, are not all the same even though you know where you're headed. And I think that yeah. that's probably what, um, you know, uh, what appeals to people who who are, you know, practising law. It's like, well, there's this, there's the escapism of, of writing them as much mm. as the escapism of reading them. So, so if I'm you are a lawyer, yeah, if you are a lawyer, you become a comedian or a romance writer. <laughs> well, you I know. just have to do a side note, and this is probably not the place for it, but hey, it's just popped into my head, and I feel I have to tell someone. So hey, I'll just confess okay. it to all of our listeners. Right, I was in a macrame class the other day, right, and there was a lady in it who was a commercial litigator. So she's a lawyer, clearly, and she mentioned the firm she was. Uh, you know, from, and I won't mention it here, but it was a major law firm. She's a commercial litigator and we were doing macrame on the weekend and at the end of the class her daughter runs in from wherever because her dad had taken her for a walk and, uh, you know, what, said, hi, mum and whatever and she f- was try- asking her mum to fix some toy that she had and she and and her mother said, oh, darling, I don't know, I'm such a dummy, your dad got the brains in this family. And I was about to punch <laughs> that girl and say, 
don't listen really? to your mother. Yeah. I'm just like, why would you diminish yourself in that way and teach your daughter that you're dumb when you're clearly not dumb? Anyway, sorry, a side note, really didn't mean to have a rant, but I've been desperate to tell someone. Yeah, wow, anyway. okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you can um, never be certain of the dynamics of a family though, so you can't. it's very hard to. Of course. Yeah. Of course, of course. Mm. But let's move on to something else. And this is on uh, Vice. And I thought this was really fascinating. I was reading this just a couple of days ago. Author, right, it's called Author Writing Book About Murderous Author Arrested uh-huh. for Murder. Oh. Method writing. Method writing. It Goodness is fascinating. Me. So this author, Liu Yong Biao, wrote a series of successful novels in the 2000s and um, she, not she, he, um, had a, set out, I'll, I'll just read it from the, from the. Yeah, article. just read it. <laughs> a read new it. true crime novel called The Beautiful Writer Who Killed about a female writer who has killed many people yet the cases remain unsolved. Now, the author was about to write that true crime novel, right? Mm-hmm. But it seems that they may never get to publish that because they were arrested last week. Liu Yongbao was r- arrested last week in connection to actual murder ca- an actual murder case that was like two decades ago, two decades ago. So he was arrested at his home uh, under suspicion that he and someone else were involved back in 1995 with a botched robbery where they went to rob guests in a hostel but ended up beating a man to death in the process. So allegedly, allegedly they then killed the owners and their 13-year-old grandson to cover it up. So since then the case went cold but... New DNA evidence led police to this guy's, you know, house. And um, when the police got there on Friday, apparently he said to them, I've been waiting for you here all this time. You couldn't write. You couldn't couldn't make this stuff up. No. (laughs) And apparently before he was arrested, he supposedly passed one last piece of writing to the police, which was a letter addressed to his wife. And in it, he apparently admits to the crimes and his guilt. And he said, I lived in fear for 20 years. I knew the day would come. I can finally be free from the mental torment I've endured for so long. Oh, my goodness. Gosh. (laughs) That's... um... It's extraordinary. As you say, you couldn't write – if you wrote that, the publishers would go, yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, no. that's, <laughs> that's, you're drawing a long bow here, Alison. I don't think this is going to work. You might need to go back and look at the structure yeah. of your story. <laughs> Isn't that astounding? I do oh. wonder sometimes when I read crime novels that it would be a scary place to be in that author's head. Yes, yes. Well, oh, wasn't yeah. there um, – the girl on the train, was that Paula Hawkins? Is she right that? I can't remember. Um, did it, was it her or? Um, Let's oh, have a look. There's a great book dedication that is, mm-hmm. it's, it's a crime novel. It's dedicated to the, to the person, to the woman's husband, yeah. um, you know, who sleeps beside her every night despite knowing what goes on in her head. Yeah. <laughs> 
Was it that one or is it um? <laughs> oh, I can't remember. I, can't, I don't exactly remember, but it's it's so true, isn't it? Like if you kind of look it's at so some true. of what comes out of a crime novelist's head, you would yeah. be a little bit scared of actually sleeping next For to them. Sure. For sure. For sure. I remember talking to Candace Fox once who's – most recent book, actually, Fifty Fifty, who she co-wrote with James Patterson, has just been released. Uh, and I remember she was talk recounting about what I said. You know, what to do on the weekend, Candace? <laughs> and she was talking about how she was at some park, like you know, like Centennial Park or some kind of park, and um, she was watching some guy fly a drone or some kind of motor-powered device in the air, mm-hmm. and she was watching and watching and thinking, hmm, I wonder if that could kill somebody. And <laughs> As you do. Yeah, she was pondering how or if it could kill somebody, and then she thought, hmm, I'll just ask. So she went up to the guy. <laughs> And so oh, you're kidding. basically quizzed him about whether he thought that something like that could kill someone. <laughs> like, and he's looking at her like, hello, uh-huh. crazy lady. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Very, very strange. Anyway, yes, yeah, scary place to be. Let's move on to something else, and that is a post called The Secrets of Writing Successful Short Stories, which is actually on the Australian Writers' Centre blog. And it's a chat that we had with Kathy Tasker, who recently um, launched her new course at the Australian Writers' Centre called Short Story Essentials. Now, this is really timely because what I'm seeing compared to – oh eight years ago, easily, or even less, is this renaissance in Mm. interest in short stories. Mm. They're everywhere compared to – it was so hard to find a short story competition. You could probably name five eight years ago. Now there are heaps. And back then, eight years ago, when – when you were looking for them, they paid – the prize money was not high at all, if any. It was very, very small. But there's really decent prize money these days for short story competitions, so it's a fantastic return on investment. And um, I just think that uh, it's such a – uh, it's such a reflection on the times, I think, that people want more variety, people want shorter reads that they can um, not necessarily invest all that time in. So, yeah, they're mm. very popular. Mm, they but, are. But, yeah, in this post um, – I think that uh, – do you – let me – before I talk about this post, do you read short stories or write short stories, Al? Um, I used to write them uh, a few years ago. I was writing sort of short stories and I had a few published in, you know, different magazines and stuff like that. But I haven't written a short story in a long time because I've been focused on novels and they are quite a different form to so novels. Um, I know a lot of authors that, that write a lot of short stories, um, you know, at the same time, like Alan Baxter, for example, who writes kind of fantasy, urban fantasy um, and science fiction and horror and all of that sort of stuff, he writes a lot of short stories and he submits them to uh, magazines, you know, in the US and different places. It's a it's a, it's a a very big um, market for those kind of yeah, genres is, is, is that yeah. is um, there's a lot of different magazines and things. Um, but, no, I, I don't really write them a lot because I sort of tend to I, – I think – 
I think when you're focused on novels, you tend to, th- you're thinking very big ideas all the time. You're sort of th- trying to, you know, you're looking at something that's going to sustain you over, you know, 55,000 or more words. And so my, my, uh, my inspiration zone, I think is not looking at those smaller ideas because a, you know, a short story has to have it's it's a it's got to have sort of more of a a single theme. It's got fewer characters. Yeah. It's going to be, um, and the other thing I find interesting about short stories is how much room is generally left in them for oh. readers. Interesting, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, there's so. a lot of room left in them for readers, whereas um, I guess, and particularly when you're writing for children, like I am, you know, you you you're really trying to flesh out as much of the detail and the story as possible to sort of allow readers to follow you more easily in some ways. Um, and I, I find some short stories incredibly frustrating actually because Why? of the, well, the amount of space that's left in them. And I, I often find I get um, to the end of the story and just think, what just happened? Like really? And what is the ending? And where's the right. rest of the story? Um, so, and, and some of those are, in, uh, you know, classified as very successful short stories. And, um, mm. but I, I, I don't necessarily love that style of short story. So yeah, it's an interesting thing. I, I think they're really good for, trying different things, trying something new. Um, I think they allow you to kind of hone in on what exactly it is that you need to bring to a new genre or a new idea. Um, I think they're great for that. But I, what I tend to find when I do that is I I get to the end and I realize that what I've written is not a short story, but a scene from a bigger Mm, work. Yeah. And I, yeah. So they, they are a real art form. Like there's a lot to be considered when you're doing a short story. Um, so I, yeah, like I, I would not, consider myself a, a proponent of the short story in any way. I don't enter competitions or anything, but it is something that I might think about doing, you know, down the track a bit more. But at the moment I'm just really focused on novels and they're taking up all my energy and creativity. Oh, yeah. mm. Did For the short stories that you did write back in the day, did any of them turn out, did any of them evolve into longer works? No, because they were quite specific like right. I, 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 they weren't the, the kernel of a bigger work. They were very yeah. much a, just an exploration of one idea and that yeah. one idea was, was kind of, you know, came to fruition within the story. Um, so, yeah, no, I, it wasn't anything that I, I considered would have gone on to anything bigger. Um, yeah, and I think, I think that's important to know, to, to, you know, if you're thinking of writing a short story, it doesn't actually have to be the precursor to a longer work. It can just be a self-contained idea. Yeah, definitely. I think so. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, it's that the, the, the thing that's so difficult about short stories is the, you know, that notion of getting the whole three-act structure into 500 words, 2,000 mm. words. You know, it's not easy to do that without obviously you know, doing it sometimes. And I think that that, you know, the most obvious ones are not, are not the best, um, short stories. And of course, my other big issue with them is of course, as we all know, I tend to start Mm. my, my, uh, stories in the wrong place every time. So with a short story, you know, you Mm. you need to start your story as close to the end as you possibly can without basically (laughs) (laughs) giving the whole thing away. And, um, so, you know, I sort of start mine and then realize, oh, I need 50,000 words to get where I want to go. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, they're not my, they're not put this way. I would need to do a lot of work on the craft of short stories to do them well. 
So one of the things that um, Kathy says in this in this post is authors new to the short story form tend to want to include the same level of detail found in a novel, which is what you were just mm-hmm. saying before. But mm-hmm. a short story is more evocative than a novel, which is what you were saying about leaving so much room for the reader. Mm-hmm. Um, the author is more likely to work with nuances and clues to the action rather than spelling out the themes, plot and characterization. And I think that that is a really interesting point is that you do, most short stories you do need to leave that room for the reader but not so much that they feel frustrated. Like mm-hmm. like I know that feeling that you were discussing. Um, and so you just, but you still need to leave some room because readers do like to work some things out by themselves in in a short story because because it's short you don't want to spell it out because it's sort of too didactic then if you yeah, do that exactly um, yeah it, it works in a short story to be less so because you want your reader to participate it's almost interactive in a sense Mm. So, um, yeah, I, we encourage you to think about uh, writing short stories. And um, if you want to check out Kathy's course, which is Short Story Essentials, it is, I've gone through it, it's fantastic. You do, you literally take it step by step, and by the end, you will have written a short story. And also, if you want feedback on that story, part of the course is you can submit your short story and get feedback on it from Kathy Tasker, who is a fiction editor and has worked for many of the major publishers. The great thing about this course is that it is online and at your own pace. So you can take seven days or seven weeks. Um, or seven months if you want to uh, because you have access to the course for an entire year, which means you can submit your short story during that year. Uh, so check it out at uh, writerscentercomau slash short story. That's writerscentercomau slash short story. All right. Let's check out our competition this okay. week. Okay. I'm ready. Yes. It is – uh, in time for Father's Day in the sense that if you win, you will get these books and hopefully, um, well, the plan is they will be sent to you in time to give them to your dad. Okay? Oh, so even though okay. Father's Day is not till September, um, this will hopefully be all in time for you to give these prezzies to your dad if you win. So we have three book packs to give away and there are two books in each pack and they're pretty cool. The first one is How to Dad, Volume 2 <laughs> by How Jordan Dad. Watson. Right. Yeah. <laughs> by Jordan Watson. And in here you'll find some sort of helpful tips, some pictures, some words, and a few crack up dad tales. And the author says, I might not be a fancy parenting person, but I am a black belt in dadding. <laughs> Right. The sec- yes. The second book is Where the Wild Dads Went. <laughs> by- <laughs> yeah, Where the Wild Dads Went by Katie Blackburn, illustrated by Sholto Walker. Um, and it says here in this hilarious, touching homage to Maurice Sendak's Where the Wild Things Are, a tired and emotional dad finds himself drifting off to the place where the wild dads went. Now party like real men, he said. <laughs> And there was never a manliness like it. So if <laughs> this is a Goodness classic. me, let the wild rumpus begin. 
Exactly. So if you want some pretty cool books to give to your dad, then enter the competition. Just go to writercenter.com.au slash win and you need to enter before the 28th of August. So the 28th of August is the closing date. Go to writerscenter.com.au slash win. And if you are listening to this podcast in the future because you've discovered us later than you should, then don't worry, go to that website again and there'll be some other competition for you to enter. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you want to be a freelance writer, our five-week course in magazine and newspaper writing, Stage 1, is the fastest way to get there. Step by step, you'll explore how to get story ideas, how to approach editors, how to research and structure your articles, plus interviewing skills, industry expectations and much more. You'll enjoy the convenience of learning online in just a couple of hours a week and have your very own tutor to answer all your questions. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash magazine. Are we ready for the word of the week, Al? We are always ready for the word of the week, Val, always. Have you used this before? Comstockery. Comstockery. No, I have never used Comstockery in my existence. Okay, so maybe you can try this week. So com, okay. C-O-M, stockery, S-T-O-C-K-E-R-Y, but one word, comstockery. So according to the Macquarie Dictionary, this is the overzealous censorship of the fine arts and literature, often mistaking outspokenly honest words for salacious ones, mm. Mm. which can happen. It and does. It does happen, and it is named after Anthony Comstock, a U.S. moralist, you know, back in the day. Mm. So you might say the conservative lobby encouraged Comstockery even when they were deciding on which books to ban. Okay. Maybe not even, just when they were deciding on which books to ban. Right, the overzealous censorship of the fine arts and literature. There you go. So try and use Comstockery in one of your blog posts this week, listeners, and do let us Mm. know. Ping us if you use the word of the week. All right. Al, who is our writer in residence this week? Uh, Our writer in residence is actually one of my favourite people and um, she you won't necessarily recognise the name because this is the author Sophie Green who was the author of the Fairvale Ladies Book Club. But Sophie has also been a a, a literary agent. Um, She is a non-fiction publisher. She has been a bookseller. She has all manner of... um, experience and interest in the publishing industry and uh, we had a big chat about all of those things and her new book so I hope you guys enjoy this Sophie Green is an author and publisher who has written several fiction and non-fiction books, some under other names. In her spare time, she writes about country music on her blog, Jolene. She fell in love with the Northern Territory the first time she visited, and subsequent visits inspired the story in the inaugural meeting of the Fairvale Ladies Book Club, which is out now. Now, first up, Sophie, welcome to the program. 
Thank you. Um, so tell us, tell us a little bit about your novel. Um, you know, the inaugural meeting of the Fairvale Ladies Book Club. It's a very long and involved title. Do it you is. consider this to be your debut novel for starters? Uh, look, I I don't in particularly, but I think from a publishing point of view, it, it is a debut because it's the first time I've written something like this, and it's the, and it's actually the first time I've written something in print, um, uh, fiction wise. So I think it, it, for all intents and purposes, it's a debut. Yes. Does it feel like to you? Does it feel like it's got more weight to it because it's like a thing or not? No, because I've, everything I've written, I've treated as as having equal weight. Um, it, it certainly is the longest thing I've ever written because it's over a hundred thousand words, and I had to write those hundred thousand words a few times. Um, so it certainly, um, it certainly does feel uh, word wise weighty. If that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. have you been working on it for a long time? Like, is this something? Like, is this a labour of love that's been, you know? coming for a while or is it something that you like how what was the process of of getting it to print uh so I had a a few chapters that were taken to an acquisitions meeting but then I had from the start of the first draft proper to the end of the fourth draft was 10 months um and that and that was last year so um so it was it and that was in and around my day job so uh, I know it was it was not a labor of love and it wasn't something that I had sitting in my brain for a long time it was an idea that that came upon me pretty quickly and um, and I moved pretty quickly but that's um, that's I suppose where the publishing side of things comes in I I just didn't feel like waiting and and letting it ferment as I often advise other people to do but in this case I I just moved on it Okay. So so how did it come to be published? Because you do work for Achette, which is your yes. publisher. You work as a yep. publisher of non-fiction books for them. So yes. so tell us, first of all, a little bit about the book and mm-hmm. then, you know, where the idea came from and, and what happened from that point. So the book, uh, at a top, as a top-level description, is about friendship and books and grief is also a major theme in there. And it's about five women living in the Northern Territory. Um, it starts in 1978. Uh, and goes through to 1981 and uh, so it's about the friendships they form and books are the catalyst for those friendships but the story is really about their friendship Uh, but it's also about I think the importance of stories in people's lives and and how stories connect us and and how we use use stories as a shorthand to form connections. Uh, you know, you have books in common or music in common or TV, TV shows or, mo- or movies in common with friends and that often forms as a shorthand to make a friendship and sustain friendships. Um, so really I was interested in, in looking at the uh, also at how families are made and not born and I think you know, friendships can form family units and particularly when there's circumstances like weather and distance uh, friendships are tested, and uh, and so all of that interests me. Um, okay. yeah, and I think living in Australia as well, distance, uh, distance and weather, and is such a factor in a lot of people's relationships. A lot of us have friends who are all over the country, and we can't see them easily. And that's still the case today, even though air travel is so convenient. Okay, so what was the catalyst for it? Like, in the sense of what made what made the idea of like because it's you know it's set on a station. Uh, in the Northern Territory, predominantly yeah. uh, in yeah. the 70s. Um, what, so what was the actual catalyst for that setting and this notion of bringing the books into it as well? So the catalyst for the setting was actually going to the Territory for work and, and uh, travelling to the town of Catherine and seeing the landscape between Darwin and Catherine 
And uh, and I also – and the other catalyst for it was The Thornbirds by Colleen McCulloch. So I long, long loved that book and been so kind of obsessed with its role in our culture and, and had often wondered why I'd never seen – anything like it again coming through manuscripts that I'd read um, in the course of my job and just thought, you know, I think we need a big landscape story for Australian women um, because often, yeah, there are landscape stories but I don't often see a lot of women in those stories and uh, and I also thought about, you know, what could bring women together in a landscape as, as challenging as this one, what bridges distances and, and uh, the answer was The Thornbirds actually and that is the first book that the book club reads. Oh. So, um, so from that idea of, of the Thornbirds, it, it then became a question of, well, uh, these, these books are a great device to bring these women together and uh, and I think that's true to life as well, that, that as I've said, previously books bring people together. So, so that's how the idea of a book club came about, probably not historically completely accurate, um, <laughs> that people had book clubs then, but who knows? Um, we, we just may not have known about them. Um, and then the catalyst for getting it into publication was actually um, that I had written two home and away tie-in novels um, in <laughs> the course of does. my job here. And uh, and so the publisher of those novels, Rebecca, um, when I had this idea for Fairvale, as I like to call it for short, uh, I, it was natural for me to talk to her about it because we already had that working relationship. So that's who I went to. It, it went into... Um, the process at Ashet without my real name on it. Okay. So that pe- people could feel free to say no to it if they didn't like it. Okay. Um, so very few people knew that it was me when it ah, went into that meeting. Okay. So yeah. you so you um, so you went to Rebecca and you said to her, "I've got this random idea about book clubs in the in the outback." Mm. Um, and she said, that sounds great. Whip me up a couple of chapters and I'll take it to acquisitions. Is that kind yes, of how it works? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, write, I wrote storylines first. Yeah. So, um, and she and I did discuss those. And that, that's one of the wonderful things about having the opportunity to collaborate yeah. um, is that I, I did get incredibly high level feedback. Um, and by high level, I mean, you know, high quality because that's, she has so much experience. So mm-hmm. I was able to discuss storylines with her and characters and, um, and it, so it, it took some shape early on. Uh, and then I wrote a few chapters and that's what went to the meeting. Okay. Terrific. And so would you consider your writing process then? Are you, would you like, gen, you know, you've written the home and away books and you've written other things as well. Is your, mm-hmm is your process generally to outline, to get, you know, a sense of where you're going before you start? Yes, these days it is. When I first started um, quite a few years ago, it was more, oh, let's just write and see what happens. But uh, but now I think also because of the, the time demands, like I can only write on public transport really. Mm. Um, and so I've got, I've got 20 minutes at the start of the day and 20 minutes at the end of the day and I need to be really structured. I can't use that time to sit and wonder what might happen. I need to I need to sit and actually do something. Um, and even if I'm doing it at home, um, again, it's, it's not a huge amount of time. I'm not someone who can sit for hours and do it. I, I, I go in fast and get out fast. And so I need that structure, uh, which does not mean that the structure doesn't change um, along the way uh, because it has to, because things happen in the story that, that I didn't expect. Um, and uh, so I need to be able to adjust where I'm going with the story uh, to accommodate that um, but I do like having that structure. Okay. 
So one of the questions I was going to ask you, because, you know, given your background in publishing um, and also being an agent in the past as well, you know, the, one of the questions I was going to ask you was, you know, did you set out to write a book that would fill a niche in the market or did you simply write something you felt you had to write? And I feel like in the conversation we've had, you've, you've, come, you've produced something that's probably both, haven't you? Yes. I mean, certainly I, I needed to write something that, that was meaningful to me because I think readers can always tell when something's done cynically. Mm. Um, and But also, yeah, I did, I did look around and think, well, yes, as I said, where is the big landscape book? And by big I mean it is those, those big themes and not being uh, shy of being ambitious as well. And it's, it's something that I've long thought about and talked about with writers is, is – in Australia in particular, is being ambitious. You know, be, be ambitious for a big readership, be ambitious for the scope of the story, be ambitious about the themes and emotions you're addressing. And that's why I said grief was a, a sub-theme because it became clear to me that, that, you know, so well, it has become clear to me over time that so many people live with so much grief and it determines so many of their actions and they don't even necessarily realise it. Mm. Um, and I think it, it is actually a, a huge factor in human society generally grief as a as a as an actor and reactor uh, and so and that's a big theme um, but it's a universal theme and it's also an intensely personal theme and so I think having having that ambition to go for a big theme but also trying to make it a story that people can relate to is part of the eternal challenge of writing <laughs> it is and it's interesting that you talk about writing you know being ambitious with a theme because um, do you think most writers sit down and think about what their themes are going to be in advance or do you think that there's something that kind of, um, you know, d- develop and evolve as a book is written? I think perhaps the latter um, and, and maybe it's also dependent on the stage they're at in, in their writing career. So with a first novel, I think you're probably just going to write whatever comes out and then as time goes on and also that need for structure that I mentioned that I have, I think that that also determines whether or not you go for a theme. It's like I, I needed a sense of what what my story was about and that, and that helps me solve problems in it, mm. not just at the writing stage but in the redrafting stage. It's like well, if I think this story is about friendships, books and grief, then that's what I have to keep in mind the entire time. Okay. Um, and so I think that probably comes more with experience and that's why often in the industry we advise people to put those early manuscripts in a bottom drawer is because you do – learn things doing them but that doesn't necessarily mean they're right for publication because what you learn from doing them informs later manuscripts and makes those later manuscripts more mature. Mm. Okay, so given, you know, your your long-standing background in publishing because you've done pretty much all of the things, haven't you? You've done selling, <laughs> you've done agenting, you're publishing, mm. writing, all of this stuff. What? How do you think that background informs your writing I think book selling I've always maintained is the best education any of us can have working mm. in the industry because that's that's the part of the industry where you are dealing with readers mm. the most um, and I've and also just knowing my parents are the most voracious readers I know and eclectic readers and I have friends who are great readers and none of them chooses books according to a category or a genre. Oh. Um, they all want a great story and they want to be entertained is the other thing. Um, and so I've formulated, uh, formulated an idea for myself that I wanted to do something that was entertaining and meaningful. And I also have to say that comes from my country music life as well because I've spent the last six years writing about mainly Australian country music 
Um, and I realised that what country music artists in Australia do extremely well is create songs and performances that are both entertaining and meaningful. Mm. And I think being entertaining is my obligation to the reader. You know, it's I, want, I don't want someone to have wasted their time. Mm. Um, if someone's going to spend 10 hours with, with a book I've written, I, I want them to walk away thinking, well, that was, you know, I, I forgot myself for a while or I forgot the time for a while or I had a, I had a smile, whatever it was, they felt entertained. And I, and I don't think that's, that's cheesy or an invalid motivation to want to entertain. And, and, and again, I credit country music with that because the most meaningful music in my life is Australian country music. And there are so many artists who are doing it so well and they are all great entertainers. It's an interesting thing to do, though, too, isn't it, as an, as an author? Because I don't think it's something that a lot of writers set out to do to entertain because it's, um, mm-hmm. it's a really difficult thing to do. It's actually yeah. a really difficult thing to do. So how do you know if you're being entertaining? I think it comes back to a, to a writing rule, actually, which is that every sentence has to advance the story and that you, you need to deliver information to the reader when they need it, as they need it, no more and no less, mm. and you need to keep that story moving forward. And so if you can keep those, those rules in mind, you're, you're then always serving the reader and serving the story, and that's how you can keep it entertaining. It's when things drag or when when you can go off on a little indulgence as a writer and maybe engage in a scene that doesn't really do anything much and doesn't serve the characters and it doesn't serve the characters stories that's when it's not entertaining and that's when readers can feel like you know maybe they don't don't want to proceed with this story or maybe they they lose interest altogether um, or come back to it or whatever um so i think that that comes back to the discipline of being a writer and it is that practice of uh, of looking to the audience and saying, well, you're, I'm here to serve you and, and, and I want to deliver something that that will be fun, well, not necessarily fun for you, but that will not waste your time. And I'm, and I'm really, really conscious of that. But, I, but that's, a, that's a commercial fiction imperative, I guess. Mm. Um, and, and, again, I mentioned country music because that's where I really learned it mm. was, was the, that, that sense of always looking to the audience, country music artists to a person every time I've interviewed them, so mindful of their audience always and, and looking to serve that audience is far that, more than they're serving themselves. Is that perhaps what you would um, – is that, is that how you would describe perhaps the difference between commercial fiction and, say, you know, literary fiction or something like that? Is it, is it about the – whether it's, you know, about serving the audience or, or serving something else? Um, well, maybe it's – I think all, all storytellers want to serve the audience to an extent. Um, I think in commercial fiction it's just a, it's a stronger motivation because that is – that's the pop song of fiction in a yeah, way. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, it's – I want to. I've, I've loved ABBA for years. I, I think it's. I would. You know, the equivalent of, of writing an ABBA song in, in novel form is basically you get get that that the beautiful harmonies, the lyrics that mean something. You're out at the end, the hook, and and then you you know you're out at the end, and the reader will will think fondly of the of the of the story, hopefully, but they don't necessarily drag it around with them for years to come and that's fine mm. yeah I think it's I think it's also realizing that there are many many stories out there the best thing for us as an industry is is Australian readers reading a lot of Australian stories um, and that's the best thing for us as a culture as well and so I'm one of many people seeking to entertain Australian readers mm. and if I can do that and they can move on to another Australian story and enjoy it 
perfect. Hmm. That's my job done. Okay, so given your background, you know, as a publisher and particularly I think as a literary agent, you've seen kind of the best of writing, but you've also seen all the mistakes that your <laughs> authors make along the way, like all yeah. of them. Is, does that make it in some ways more difficult to put yourself out there and show your work to professionals in your industry? Is that is it? Because I think to a degree I would probably find all that knowledge and trying so hard not to make those mistakes almost paralyzing or do you not feel that? Uh, I think I don't feel it anymore um, but it's also because this is not my first radio. No. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and also I don't feel it because I've been writing about writing about music for so long. So, mm. so I've had six years of a regular writing practice. Mm. Um, and, and that was also, that is also still about serving that audience. Um, cause I'm, I'm very aware that I have readers out there, a lot of them in the United States who are reading about Australian country music. So I'm, I'm really conscious that I'm writing to people and I'm also conscious about, about honoring the artists I cover and honoring the audience by producing regular content. So that's kept me, sharp in a way and if I hadn't done that um I probably would have felt much more nervous about about writing books um but I didn't stop to I actually didn't stop to think about mistakes I might make I I kept my mind on and my focus on what I on what I needed to do and what the job was and as far as I'm concerned to borrow a phrase from Buffy the Vampire Slayer season seven the mission (laughs) the mission the mission is what matters and um you know and and I stayed focused on that you know and 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 it's 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 physically demanding writing a big book particularly when you've got to redraft it a lot of times in a short period of time um and I had to I had to keep my mind on that and that was the mantra the mission is what matters okay do you just have that stuck above your desk is that how you (laughs) no no I just you know Buffy Buffy resonates with me quite a lot we're both upholders in the the Gretchen Rubin four tendencies framework (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious Um, okay so I find it really interesting because you talked about the fact that you write your books you know on public transport 20 minutes here Mm -hmm. 20 minutes there um now I find it that I can uh write a draft like that and in fact that's pretty much how I operate as well not necessarily on public transport but in those kind Mm -hmm. of verse but I find it very difficult to redraft like that like I actually do intensive periods of thought time and you know sitting in front of the computer to get the redraft done given that you were redrafting four times how did you get that done how did you fit that in so, and you're completely right. I could not redraft uh, as well mm. um, on public transport. I had to do that at, at home. So that meant I had to get up extremely early in the morning. Um, uh-huh. So that was the way I decided to do it. Um, I always exercise in the morning. So I had to get up an hour before that um, to to make time for it, to make sure I was awake. And, uh, and often I was, you know, getting up really early, doing the exercise to wake me up and then allocating um, 45 minutes to an hour to do it. And, you know, there would often it would start with maybe me crying, yeah. uh, which can happen because it is quite confronting. Um, and, and it feels when you've got to delete tens of thousands of words and start again or do something that you don't necessarily love um, in a redraft, it can, as I said, it's physical. Like it, it's, it's physically painful sometimes. Mm. Um, and not to say that, that you know, to put it in perspective, this is this is uh, this is not a terrible um, burden, but at the, in the moment, it, it's physically painful. So um, that's often how I would start. I'd have a little cry, and then I would uh, get to work, and then I would get myself into the office. And I really tried by the end of the day to not do it at night because my 
my brain was obviously more tired from having done other things and I couldn't concentrate as well. So I do early mornings and then some weekends and I would just, because I tend to write in short bursts, I would just sit down for half an hour, do something, give myself a break for half an hour, come back, do that kind of rhythm. And I just set aside the time when I knew I had deadlines to do it. See, I find it interesting too because, you know, you say it's physically painful and there were times that you cried and all that sort of stuff because you've also, you're also the person who directs other persons to remove mm. entire scenes yes, in the middle of the right. book that they thought yeah. that were really important that you said were not. And I'm not speaking from personal experience on <laughs> any level here at all. Um, but, yeah, so does it make it easier to, to, to wear it as a writer when you know where it's coming from, do you think, or not? Mm. Absolutely not, um, and I'm always cog- I'm always cognizant of, of when I'm asking other people to. I am completely cognizant of of how painful that can be, and I was before this. Um, I have to say because it is it's it's particularly confronting with fiction because this is a world that an author has created, and it's a world in their bodies and in their minds. Whereas with nonfiction, it's a little more straightforward. Mm. Um, so I don't think as a, as a nonfiction publisher, I'm causing as many tears <laughs> um, as I might as a fiction publisher, but no, it doesn't, it doesn't make it easier knowing that this is the process because I think you can't, you can't control an emotional reaction mm. and you can't necessarily predict it or prepare for it either. So uh, I d- didn't know how I was going to react until I'm, I was sitting down in front of it. Yes, I, I feel your pain. Trust me. <laughs> you, so the other thing I would ask you, though, too, is that, you know, you're seeing a lot of manuscripts, um, yeah. you know, nonfiction now, but, you know, as an agent, you were seeing a lot of manuscripts for uh, fiction as well, um, reading so many mm-hmm. words. Like, is it difficult not to be influenced yeah. by other people's writing? Like, how do you maintain your own voice in the midst of all that? Um, I think... Uh, I think it comes from getting older, actually, and being more confident in my own voice and mm. and um, and more confident about who I am uh, as uh, just in terms of my you know, the, the voice in my head. Um, for lack of, I'm not saying this very well, but I didn't ever doubt that what I was hearing was me mm. or the char- or my characters talking to me. And again, that's probably something to do with that regular discipline of writing about music because I had mm. to develop a voice for that and I have I have my voice for writing about music and um, and that's distinct from other writing I do but uh, no I didn't I didn't doubt that I was I didn't I didn't doubt the integrity of that voice if that makes sense mm. um, and, and there, you do have to bring to this process a certain arrogance in that you're saying well you know, I'm the best person to tell this story. You know, mm. I'm sitting here writing these words and I believe I've got something that, that's that's worth listening to. And I think we can often shy away from that and say, oh, well, you know, I don't want to I, 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 I don't want to say that about myself or I don't want to own that kind of authority. But we have to because if I can't stand there and say you need to read this or I think this is worth reading, then how is the reader meant to trust me? If yeah. I can't have confidence in what I'm doing and who I am, then I can't expect them to either and I can't expect the people who've published the book to. So I I do, again, it comes back to the mission being what matters. Of course I have doubts. Of course there are moments when it's difficult, but I have to keep my my sights on what I set out to do, which is to convey an Australian story to Australian readers. Hmm. Okay. So on a day-to-day basis, you're publishing nonfiction. What what are you looking for in those manuscripts that are submitted? Does that come down to voice? As well as story or just story or? 
Well, because I publish a variety of nonfiction, so some of it's memoir, but some of it is is uh, like I've got a couple of parenting books, um, and I've got uh, books of affirmations and and a book about bull riders that's <laughs> just come out. So um, in memoir, it's it's story and voice, mm. but. And that's so I, I think if I just look, think about a whole lot of memoirs I've looked at recently as submissions, uh, just say I, I'm thinking of four as an example um, that came in fairly close to each other. There's one out of those that's terrific, and that's because even though it's at an early draft stage, the author has a great prose voice. Mm-hmm. And a great sense of structure of the story, and 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 she's obviously clear from the start that what that story is going to be. Whereas the others are still finding their voice, not just in terms of prose, but in structure of the story. And so it can look messier. Right. Um, and when it's messy at that early stage, you know, I have to, even though with nonfiction we can we can get things through an acquisitions process without it being necessarily finished. Yeah. Um, I could see in those manuscripts like they were going to have to finish them to sort out what they were doing. Right. Uh, whereas with that one that was working, she, I didn't need to see the rest. She knew what she was doing and anything right. else that came afterwards could be managed. Um, and so so really, yeah, with memoir, um, but often the, the, mem- it's the trick with memoir is how you make the, the personal universal uh, and, um, and, that, and that, is, that requires a level of skill and judiciousness um, and restraint and also uh, that sense of audience again of thinking, mm. well, okay, my story deserves to go to a big audience. How do I get it there? Mm. Okay. All right. Now, given that you're writing under a pseudonym, pseudonym yes. what steps have you taken to kind of, you know, build a profile, get yourself out there? Uh, well, I have a Facebook profile and a Twitter profile and, uh, and I have – for the last few weeks, I've scheduled content um, for both to build the world of 1978, basically. Oh. Um, and I'm also quite fortunate because um, Sphere in the UK is publishing this um, early next year, mm-hmm. and so I, I was able to pick up some followers from the from the UK side of things. And and um, my colleagues at Ashad have been wonderful, uh, retweeting and liking and all sorts of things. So it's it's small and but growing. Um, but it obviously wasn't considered necessary for me to have it before they decided to acquire it because mm. I, I didn't have it. Uh, no, clearly. So, but I'm conscious of yeah that that's, there are a lot of readers online and and I, I always think it's good to have a place for for readers to find you if they want to find you. I'm not interested in overburdening anyone with a lot of content and I also do have the country music website and so I, I didn't really want to be running another website website because um, mm. I feel that that's that's there and I have my commitments to that and um, and that takes up a fair bit of attention so uh, just trying to balance all the time. Will you use Jolene in any way like will you talk about the book on that oh. at all? Oh I'll put it in my bio I think and I might do something on the Facebook and Twitter briefly but I'm not I'm not going to use it as a promotional platform because okay. it's it's really it's related but it's a different audience yeah. um, but I but yeah, I'll put it there. Okay. And is is a is a sort of profile or platform? Is it something that you look for in the books that you publish? You know, by other writers. Look, it's 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 nice if it's there. It's not for me. It's not a deal breaker um, because it also depends on what the book is. So, in nonfiction, quite often these are books that people are finding when they need something on that subject. Yeah. So it's irrelevant if the author has a social media profile because th- that person will be in a bookshop thinking, oh, I publish a book called The Anxiety Book. Yeah. And someone will go to a bookshop or they'll look online for a book on anxiety. And as long as the author's bio 
is is solid and and this author's is um, uh, you know that's what they'll look for they're not necessarily going to look for her to have a big Facebook following yeah. um, so I think yeah nonfiction can function a bit differently but I have a colleague who publishes um, publishes cookbooks and some of them by people who are high profile or lifestyle books by people who are high profile and that's different that's mm. that's a that's a different sort of audience and a different book and so that's great if they have a big instagram following perfect mm. and so that suits so that kind of book so non-fiction is is really got so many different yeah. <laughs> um, aspects to it that we we, ha- we have to look at that book individually and and take it from there okay um what about are you working on a new novel like are you going to do not like yet. Sophie Green bringing out a second book. Uh, not not yet. Um, I have had other things to do since I finished this one. So oh, really, <laughs> uh, uh, so I haven't. Um, I have certainly have some ideas, but um, I think I'll see how this one goes, and, and then we'll pick it up a bit later in the year. Okay, oh, a bit later plan. in the year, so not mm-hmm. like next year or you know anything like that. You'll be um, well. I well, I think it depends. If, I, if my publishers would like another book from me they'll they'll let me know when they would like that published and um and I will have a deadline <laughs> all right so you're not giving up your day job anytime soon oh no look I'm 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 so lucky because I love my day job I'm yeah it's it's it is so incredible to me that I get to publish other people's stories and other people's books about all sorts of things and one of the reasons why I love nonfiction is it's so diverse and uh and I can I can take something to my colleagues with an with an idea. You know, and, uh, it doesn't happen very often. We often need more than an idea, but uh, but it can happen. And I get to be in contact with a whole lot of different people from all over Australia. And so that's a big reason why I love nonfiction. It's a very creative type of publishing mm. because I'm often working collaboratively with authors. Um, and I get to I get to foster careers um, where that where that author wants one. So. Um, um, that's exciting too, and uh, and that means I get to talk to them about what they're writing next, and, and which happens with fiction publishers as well. But um, no, I'm I'm I love nonfiction publishing. Okay, um, all right. So let's finish up today with your three top tips for authors, as we like okay. to do to every single person we speak to. Uh, okay, so the number one tip which I've had for a long time is don't be impatient. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for that is that uh, as an agent and a publisher, so often I see um, and have seen people who send, they get excited, they've finished a draft and they send it in straight away and that, that draft you've just finished for the very first time is never going to be the, the best representation of your work. Um, and so it's better to just sit on it for as long as you can bear and have another look at it and send it in because when you send it to an agent or a publisher, they will only look at it once mm. um, and rarely will they look at it twice, but that's the only shot you'll get. So try to be patient uh, and um, breathe mm. <laughs> and and then, you know, keep, keep moving, get other ideas, keep those going. So that's my number one tip. Yep. Number two tip is um, that thing I mentioned earlier about every sentence having to advance the story. I think that's um, that's a, it's a, a very hard discipline, um, but it's a crucial one because that's, and that doesn't mean that everything's quick in a story. It just means looking at every sentence you're writing and thinking, is that necessary? Mm. Um, you know, is, have I, am I wasting someone's time by putting in that detail? Is that something that only I should know as the author, but but the characters can't know or the narrator can't know. Mm. Um, and the third 
one, which should probably be the most important one, is read. Uh, <laughs> read as much as you can. Read if you're if you're in a specific genre. Read in that genre. I've quite often come across people, for example, who might be writing crime books who don't read crime. Uh, so I think it's good to understand the context for the stories that you're telling, uh, and that's your your broader Australian cultural context, and then the context of the genre that you're in. Mm. And also good as a form of market research, you know, what else is out there? Mm. And that's where libraries are great. You can go to the library and borrow a whole lot of books in your genre and you can, you might start them and think they're all ridiculous. And that's good because you can just take them back to the library. So um, I think reading, reading is key. (laughs) Reading is key. There you go. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much. Best of luck with the inaugural meeting of the Fairvale Ladies Book Club. I hope it goes to gangbusters. Thank you. uh, We shall look forward to seeing what Sophie Green does next. Thank you very much. Wow, cool. Okay, Sophie Green. Mm. Um, Now, I just reckon books that – because, like, this is about – I haven't even read the book yet, but it's obviously about a book club and there are ladies in it. (laughs) (laughs) Good start. (laughs) And I just think those – I just always think it's so fascinating to have character studies into a group of women. I'm always fascinated by those things and I'm always drawn to those sorts of books as well. So I have no doubt that this is going to be on my bookshop buying list on my week on my weekend trips to my local bookshop. And because you can explore so many different types of characters and inevitably the reader, well, I always find this as a reader, you just recognising all these people you know, don't well, you, aren't I- you? Yeah, I think so. And I think the other interesting thing about this one in particular is the like, you know, it's 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 set in the Northern Territory. The the um the landscape is very much, you know, in evidence throughout. It, the setting mm. is 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 a very important part of this novel because the distance um involved uh in the book club and the fact that it's set in nineteen seventy eight, so there's no you know, we're not talking about connectedness here. We're talking about how did people you know, make connections, become friends when they were separated by such enormous distances. Um, and I think that that exploration as part of this is is also really interesting because we are in, in a world now where connectedness is like touch of a button stuff. But these are people who are living on a station in the middle of the Territory, you know, in 78 when there's, you know, making a phone call was $3 a minute, you know, it's mm. and it was – um, you know, that idea of them coming together over books and, um, you know, bringing their lives together, you know, in that sporadic way. And, the, yeah. of course, the books that Sophie has chosen to include in the book club, you know, The Thornbirds is the first book that they read. And, you know, I know that it's one of Sophie's, you know, favourites. And it's, a, it's you know, such a quintessentially Australian, grand, sweeping Australian kind of novel. Yeah. And, um, you know, so this, this book has... Um, has echoes of that in it because, of course, you know, we do have that notion of these enormous distances that, that you know, make up Central Australia. So mm. it's um, – and, and the characters are, are obviously, you know, against the backdrop of that with all of their different problems and all of their different life stories and, you know, how they become friends brought together by literature. And, I, you mm. know, it's, it's a – it's a terrific read and it's going to go very, it's, I know it's sold into the UK and various places. It's going wow. to go very, very well overseas, I think, as well because of that Australian vibe that it has, yes. you know. It's, yes. it's good. It's a great, it's a great, and book clubs will love it, of course. Yeah. Because, and it's you know, such a gorgeous cover as well. 
Yeah, it's lovely. It's lovely. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Ruth Park gets a mention. And, I mean, any book that, where Ruth Park gets a mention is good for mm-hmm. me as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our platform building tip this week because so important. I know we bang on about how important it is to build your author platform, but one thing that we have been noticing on social media, I certainly have been noticing, I'm sure you have too, Al, is um, when authors are obviously told by someone or that they need to get onto social media or they are dragged into social media kicking and screaming and they, and you know that because they make it clear and they fill their posts with things like, oh, I hate to be on social media but I'm giving it a go anyway. And it's like, mm. oh, we don't want you here if you don't want to be here. Mm. <laughs> don't you think? Yeah, I think when every second post is about how you're only there because your publisher told you to be there or you're only there because, you know, like you you hate it, you don't know what to do. When you've got, uh, you know, you see those posts where I really hate self-promotion but here I am on social media and I feel like saying, well, we hate self-promotion too. That's not what social media is about. Um, So, look, I think if you're going to do it, um, then, you know, Give yourself the opportunity to actually make it work for you. If you, if all you do is complain about the fact that you have to be there, it's a bit like going to a party and telling everyone in the in the place that you'd rather be at home reading a book, and then yeah. wondering why nobody wants to talk to you and why everyone else seems to be having a good time and you're not. Um, yeah. I think it's really important that you, if you're going to do it, you know, you've got to put your party frock on and your best smile on, and at least have a go at mingling, you know, have a chat, do something, you know, to ask a question, whatever it is that you need to do. But don't just stand against the wall with your gloomy face on and your drink in your hand going, I'd rather be at home because nobody's going to come anywhere near you and then you're going to go home and go, well, I hate parties anyway because no one ever talks to me. So I think it's, um, you know, like put your lippy on and get in there and have a crack (laughs) because – or, or, or your bow tie, if you're male, you don't have to wear lippy. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's put your best face forward. I mean, we talk all the time about how social media is, is you the best possible version of you, which yes. is what you do when you go out and socialise. You try to, exactly. you know, you try to at least put on a smile, don't you? Um, so, you know, do that and talk to people and you'll be amazed at how many people will talk back to you when yes. you're, when you sort of take that approach rather than the, oh, here I am again and I'm so sorry to be banging on about myself. Well, don't bang on about yourself. Bang on about someone else. Ask a question. Like I'm always saying to my boys, I remember when um, Book Boy was about, I don't know, eight or something mm. and we had to go to the school disco, you know. It's like and he was he is not a man who is a fan of a disco on any level. Okay. And he was just a bit like, oh, gosh, mum, you know, I'd rather sit down and, you know, I just I don't really know what to say. And I'm like, you don't have to say anything. All mm. you need to do is ask someone how they are, ask mm. what their day was like, ask them if they like the song that's playing. Mm. You know, people love talking about themselves. So, I mean, in fact, they would rather talk about themselves than listen to you talk about you on any mm. level. So, you know, it's, it's, I think socialisation is so much about learning to talk about what other people are interested in, not just yes. what you're interested in. And social media is a little bit the same. If you get out there and all you talk about is yourself and your books Ooh. and then you're surprised by the fact that no one wants to talk to you, um, mm. I think maybe it's time to go back to the, to the you know, grade two disco and <laughs> think about the fact that you should really, you know, share other people's interests and share questions and and, you know, it's a really 
you know, build yourself and make yourself an integral part of a community by mm. being generous with other people. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want more tips from the Oracle on how to build your author platform, that is A.L. Tate, a.k.a. AKA Alison Tate, then uh, go to Alison's course, How to Build Your Author Platform, which gives you a step-by-step blueprint on exactly how you do that and some great tips on how to do that on social media without feeling like you're self-promoting and and doing it in a comfortable way. So check that out at writercenter.com.au slash platform. That's writercenter.com.au slash platform. And All next right. time, next time I will share with you my advice to Book Boy when we discussed, you know, how to dance at the school disco because that was serious? even more entertaining. <laughs> okay, stay tuned for part two. <laughs> Of the continuing story. I know. Seriously, aren't you glad you're not my kid? Like, really? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I can't wait for the second instalment. It's like, I know, I grew up every single morning listening to on the ABC or TBL or something, um, the island of Dr Moreau being narrated. And it was just quite a full-on story, really. You know, to be ha- listening to through breakfast, um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, um, every every day though. I wanted to hear the next instalment, so I can't wait to hear about what happened when Book Boy wanted to know how to dance. <laughs> All right, well, this brings us to the end of poor Book Boy. This week's uh, episode. What are you doing this coming week, Al? Well, um, let's just talk about what I'm not doing because in excellent news, let's just discuss the fact that I got my copy edit finished last week, a week ahead of my deadline. And so I will not be copy editing this week and we can all be excited about that. Um, So I know, look, honestly, the thrill of actually just, you know, signing that off and sending it was just too much for me almost. Um, so that was so that was basically I've got one more round there with the second book in the Adaban Cipher um, mm. series, um, the proofread to come, and then that's you know off. We're talking about covers. It's just all Ooh. it's all happening. Um, so this week I am writing blog posts um, to promote the Mapmaker Chronicles in the US. I am writing a new book, obviously with hashtag Write a Book with Al, and I just want to say thank you so much to everyone who has you know, tweeted me and stuff to say, I'm, I got my manuscript finished because of you. I think Yasmin was once, was one person who did that. Um, you know, I've, I've got to the end of my manuscript because of, you know, hashtag write a book with Al. And that's, it's so lovely to hear that it's making a difference to your day. Yeah. I wish I my book, but I have not. So on <laughs> we go, onward and upward. Um, so I'll be doing that. And then, yeah, just a whole bunch of stuff that's coming up with regards to, um, because, of course, the Book of Secrets, the first book in the Adaban Cipher um, series, is out on the 12th of September. So I'm starting to sort of lock in dates and oh, and I've got author talks as well for Book Week. So, yeah. It's oh, busy. my God. You've got author talks as well. Hmm. Not too many this year, though. I, I didn't I didn't actually book in too many this year because of just, you know, there, there's a whole lot of stuff going on family-wise um, as well. So, you know, I haven't got a huge number. Um, but, you know, you, because this is the whole thing with with this sort of stuff, you, 
want to say yes to everything in the known universe, um, mm. but if you do that, you get no writing done, you, get, mm. you don't see your family. Um, mm. So there comes a time when you have to sort of balance a little bit and at the moment with the new book coming out, I've kind of just pulled back a little bit this year. Yeah, fair enough. Wow. Busy, busy week. Hmm. Um, well, I won't be doing author talks but no. I will be, no, uh, what am I going to be doing? I'm going to, we're doing a lot of development into a new app for writers, actually. Wow. So we're still in early stages, but it's very exciting to be, to be, to be developing an app only for, uh, you know, people in the Australian Writers' Centre community and anyone who wants to join. And then the other thing I'm going to be doing is I'm well, interestingly, with a group of writers and we're getting together in the coming week and one would think that I would then finish the sentence by saying, you know, exchange tips on writing and editing or workshop each other's stories or something like that. But you're but not no. going to say that, are you? No, <laughs> I had a feeling there was a twist in the tail coming. We're going to get our boat licences. You're what? what I know so like it just we were all like just talking the other day and it turned out we all wanted to get a boat license you know like a driver's license I know what a boat license is (laughs) somewhat you know astounded that you're all getting together to get your boat license yeah so um I rang up and to find out, uh, you know, when, how to do it and stuff. And the boat licence people said, oh, well, if there's a group of you, we'll just do one just for you guys. So this is like a special boat licence Authors on the water. <laughs> yes, exactly. Fantastic. In fact, writers on the water. I think you should have, it should be a hashtag, writers, writers on the water. Um, how many of you are there? Um, four, possibly five. Goodness gracious. Yeah, I'm waiting to hear on the fifth. <laughs> I hope it's not like Gilligan's Island. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> just, just putting that out there. No, no, because the first part of it is on land. So this is oh, the okay. land part. We're all meeting in one spot to to learn the – it's like getting your L's, you know, you, you learn the theory first and then you have your practical after that. So we're not up to that yet. Okay. So, yes, that's a bit different, but who knows, there might be a bunch of stories coming out of it set on the water. I'm sure there will be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So where do we find you online, Al? You will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, you'll find me on Facebook. Feel free to connect with me. You'll also find both of us in the Facebook group. Yes. Oh, yes. The, we forgot you to will. mention to, to welcome and thank you to everyone who joined uh, the, face, the, the new So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook. If you're looking for it, just go to the search bar in Facebook. Faithful, look, I'm not speaking properly. You just take no. over, Al. Just go to the <laughs> search box on Facebook 
and pop in So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community, and you will find us all there debating the mer- relative merits of banoffee pie versus chocolate, which was pretty much last week's topic for discussion. Yes. But I also just want to say too, and I did actually mean to mention this earlier with you when we were talking about platforms, is um, yeah, well done to everyone in the group who has started with their blogs and their various things because there was a yes. bit of a shout out there to share you know, your Facebook page or your blog or whatever. Mm. And um, so I had a little look at what everyone's getting up to and it's yes. it's fantastic to see everybody, you know, starting those, got the foundations are being put in place for those author platforms. And I just want to give you all a round of applause for that. Well done. So yeah, I'm giving oh, a round of applause. Look at you. Look at you. You are. Goodness yeah. me. Okay. All right. So with the show notes, you will find at soyouwanttobearwriter.com.au. And um, that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Thank you so much for listening and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. 